Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. My guest today is Andrew Trigg, who is joining us from the Land Registry in the UK. Um, he was a speaker at GeoMob, uh, unbelievably now almost five years ago, back in 2016, where he gave a great talk about, um, with many interesting anecdotes uh, and also some, some very interesting technical challenges that they face at Land Registry uh, because it's, it's quite a, you know, it, it's, it's an older organization and um, a very interesting um, background about how, how this type of thing works in England and Wales. So um, I'm looking forward to this discussion quite a lot. Um, welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Ed. Very pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, believe, why don't you briefly introduce yourself and uh, also, as particularly for the benefit of our international listeners um, outside of the UK who perhaps don't know Land Registry, you know, give us give us kind of very briefly a summary of, of what it is. What, what does this, this organization do? Sure. Thanks. So, so to me first, I feel very much at home with this audience because I'm, I'm a lifetime geographer. Um, my degree many, many moons ago was in geography at UCL. And in fact, I was on the very first year of the very first uh, master's in GIS in the UK um, back in 1983, which is probably well before a lot of the listenership is uh, was, was even born. Um, and at the time, just to give you a feel for what was hot around that time, pen plotters were the new big thing. Um, so wow. having, a, having a pen plotter was 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 kind of leading edge, and my master's dissertation was was effectively writing a program which instructed the pen plotter um, how to draw a very crude map down to pen up, pen down, select pen instructions, which had to be hard coded. So I think we've moved on a little bit bit since. Well, you know, that's coming back. There are people I see on Twitter. There are people who do that type of you know uh, programming the pen plotter to make all kinds of cool uh, art and stuff. So maybe those skills can still be resuscitated. Come back into fashion, very, very retro. Um, and I've been very fortunate, really, in the ensuing years to keep that geographical connection throughout throughout my whole career. I went on to do PhD in artificially intelligent geospatial cataloging, then worked for a systems provider, um, laser scan, they were called at the time, now known as One Spatial. Was then a GIS manager in a local authority, Wiltshire County Council. And then, then worked at OS for, for 10 years. Um, spent quite a long, enjoyable period at OS where I did quite a few roles. Perhaps my most enjoyable being a geographer at heart was managing the cartographers who create the small-scale paper maps of, of wow. the UK, okay. um, which, which, was, which was fantastic. And also I was responsible for introducing MasterMap. Um, which now unbelievably is over 20 years ago. So, so quite a quite a fruitful period at Ordnance Survey, and I've been at Land Registry for the last, gosh, 16 years or so, where I've again done a number of roles, but where I'm now currently the the Chief Geospatial and Data Officer. So that's in charge of anything to do with geospatial and anything to do with data. Um, so, so again, very fortunate to have kept that thread right through to. To, to to where I am now with that geospatial geographical content. Okay, that's that's quite a tour across uh, all aspects of the industry. So, so explain land registry to us. What what's happening there? So so land registry. So uh, we, we only cover England and Wales. Um, it's perhaps the first point to make. We, we're not UK wide. 
um, and most of your international listeners, probably um, the nearest equivalent to the land registry is the cadaster. Most countries have have a cadaster rather than a land register. But essentially what we do is we, we record the ownership of property across the whole of England and Wales. Um, we actually guarantee ownership and that's a really most fundamental point. So we, if it's on our register, if we've registered your land and we registered you as the owner, we guarantee that that's true. Um, and that's a really important point because it's that's the security, that government guarantee, which which lenders lend mortgages against. So it's a fundamental component of the conveyancing industry. Without that guarantee, you'd have to have other forms of guarantee or the lender would have to have other forms of security, such as in the States, where you have to have some kind of um, property insurance. Um, to, if you are subsequently found not to own the, the property or the land that you, that you think you do, um, the property insurance covers that. In the UK, that's backed by the state guarantee of, of, of ownership. Gotcha. So, it, well, so here, here, I think we should we should make one point, though, particularly for the benefit of our international listeners. In that, uh, when I lived in the UK, uh, and uh, as a foreigner who had arrived there, I was shocked to learn, you know, as, as you say, most countries have a some sort of cadastral system, and and in England, there's land registry, but what percentage of the properties are registered with land registry a significant percentage are not is that correct i mean and, and at your talk that you gave at geomob you said you know th there are many many properties that have been kind of have, have been owned by different entities for coming up on a thousand years that are not in any way registered is that correct that that, that is that is correct um and it's it's uh it's we, we can't answer that question in terms of number of properties because we don't know what we don't know. What what we can tell you is how much of the, the land surface of England and Wales is registered because we obviously know the extents of, of of those registered properties and that's running at just under 90%. So okay. the, the kind of obverse of that is just over 10% of it remains unregistered. Um, and that, that tends to be, as you've correctly said, the land which has remained in the same ownership for for, for many, many years, if not centuries, it could be Church of England land, it could be large landed estates, it could be land held in trust, which doesn't change. So, so the, there is no trigger or no obligation to register your land un, until a transaction is, is carried out on it. I see. I mean, the, the other piece that I thought was fantastic about your talk is um, because land registry has existed for quite a long time, you know, many of the records are, of course, quite old and and uh, paper based, and uh, or, and and so you face the big challenge of kind of digitizing all that. And I remember you you kind of challenged the audience of like, if anyone wants to work on this project of how to digitize all this, give us give, what's kind of the state of play there. Well, you're you're right. We've we have been around for a long time. 1863 was when the the, the land registry was was formed, um, and so to set some context in terms of the, the scale of the challenge, we, we obviously have records dating back all the way through to 1863 in some form or another. Um, clearly for the majority of that time, most of the, most of the business was transacted on, on paper. So a lot of our records are still on paper um, and they're, they're stored in, 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 a, in a file store. Um, just an interesting fact, or certainly a fact that I find interesting, if you were to lay all of those pieces of paper into a pile um, in that file store, they would they would be 140 miles high. 
um, just to give you a kind of a feel for the amount of, of paper that we still have. It runs into many billions of, of, of sheets of paper. Um, wow. Uh, but they are still referred to on a daily basis. Caseworkers will 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 need to refer to some information on those on those sheets of paper um, several hundred times a day between them. So it, it is still a live resource. But if we if we to to move into um, having a, a a much more of a digital automated service, we clearly need to capture some of that information. So so not only is it on paper, we're, we're actually setting about creating what I like to call land register 3.0. So version one was paper, version two was electronic when we effectively took all of the paper records and processes and, and just retyped them into, into systems or into, into data sets with no, no real intent in terms of other than replicating the, the manual process. Mm -hmm. We're now trying to create version 3.0, the digital register, which is, is turning that, that those, effectively those screeds of text into a structured intelligent resource which we can make automated decisions and, and extract meaning and information from rather than having to to, to, to reread the information which was typed into into the register so it, it's quite a quite a challenge because not only do we have all of that paper we have a number of a large number of documents and maps which were scanned when we created the electronic version of our processes and register but of course they're just dumb scans so to this audience the, 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 the geospatial it's absolutely not geospatial at all so the, the geospatial part of the register is focused on the title plan which we have for each property 17 million of those title plans are still in scanned form so if we if we were to ever to make better use of those as an intelligent information resource, we have to capture that information in some form. But but many of those plans date back many decades and are in poor poor form, poor, the, the, the poor quality, um, and and sometimes may even be on a different map projection pre the national grid in, in England. So mm. automated, automated capture of information from those titles isn't straightforward. Um, because it includes all sorts of different color tintings, which may have degraded over time. Um, they're, they're set against small, uh, not very well identified extracts of Ordnance Survey data from dating from that time. Trying to relate that to a geospatial location, and 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 then transfer it into a digital form is is actually quite a challenging thing. But we are we are rising to that challenge. We're growing a data science capability, which is looking at. At, at ways of extracting that, um, and we're getting some very early um, good results from that. Project. The, this is a, an in-house project you're working on, or you you uh, you bring in experts who, who can do this type of thing, or you're working with academics, or how 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 all, how do you even of, go about that? All of your aforementioned. So we're we, we're growing we're growing our own capability, um, so that we 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 understand the processes um, that we want to to create. So. Um, we, we have an increasing number of data scientists. Um, we also talk to academia. We're also aware that others um, in industry are making uh, progress in this area as well. But we're also always pleased to hear from others who have um, potentially innovative ways of doing this that we perhaps haven't thought, thought of. And I think that was the challenge I gave um, on my, my GMOD talk back in 2016. I, I, if I recall correctly, most people were far too scared of the, uh, you showed us some examples, some great, you know, kind of ancient maps that would be, you know, very nice to kind of sit there and pour over. But to, I, I, as you correctly said, the actual task of trying to digitize that with 
you know, damaged records and faded and, you know, trying to decipher someone's handwriting from 150 years ago. Good Lord. Um, it's, it's interesting you mentioned handwriting because it, it an interesting aside of something that happened in the past past few weeks. We, we have a, a, an open data product, which um, anyone can go and view of the original 1863 register. So all of the all of the registrations from those very early days are there. They're in scanned form. Um, but that's a resource you can go and browse at your will. But they're, they're proving to be a, a rich resource for historians, which is what we anticipated, people researching the history of an era at the time. But more latterly, we had some historians getting very, very excited, people who were looking at the history of handwriting and how that changed right. over time and how that changes across the country through time as well. Um, and we've got some wonderful examples in that early register oh. and in some of our documents of wonderful copper plate um, writing of deeds and, and letters and conveyances, which which um, which which are which are invaluable to people doing this kind of research. It's a it's a whole um, extra resource, far more than they've been able to to glean from other sources. That's a great example of the type of unexpected benefit that we get Absolutely. from from opening data. Yes. So. Maybe that's a good segue to kind of one of the questions that I want to ask you, which is, um, you know, Lend Registry was a very early op adopter of open data publishing um, with some of its geographic data and things. And so maybe you can, can take us through uh, kind of the open data journey and experience at Lend Registry. What, what, how has it gone? What are some of the success stories or any unexpected problems or, you know, tell us how it's, uh, tell us your experience. Well, 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 thank you for recognising us as an early adopter, because in, in, indeed we were, um, and, and that was, I think, the start of a recognition by us that, that there was indeed this additional extra value from our data outside of the core registration process, that it, it could be put to, to unforeseen uses, um, certainly ones that we wouldn't have foreseen. And, and, and that's been a theme that's continued through the, the the ensuing years really that we've put data sets out and then they get used in ways we just wouldn't have thought of them them being used of at all so we I, i've been very keen to push um push us to share as much data as as is possible and the, i think probably the, the the earliest example from a geospatial perspective that is worth talking about is is our, our it was our response to the inspire directive I can't remember the exact year, but it's probably at least, it's probably 10 years or so ago when we published mm. what we um, called our Inspire dataset, um, which is effectively a, a national set of polygon extents of, of all of the property ownerships that we have registered. And, and that, still gets, that still gets downloaded many thousand times a month. Um, it's quite a popular data set, which you see cropping up in all sorts of, of, of reuse environments. Um, and And actually a good example of an unintended use of that data set was which we found out very early on was it was being used by lawnmower sales um, companies huh. um, which which we found unusual um, but essentially what they were doing was downloading those extents overlaying them on maps of settlement areas to work out which properties related to residential properties, but which had large gardens. So, so oh, they, okay. they, they were the properties to target for sit, sit on mowers, um, rather than having to, to just blanket um, email shot or, or postal shot to, to every property. Um, you, can then, you can then focus in on those properties, which may be of, uh, of, of most relevance to you. 
That's fantastic. Um, similar bizarre uses like that. And it, it, it is fascinating seeing the, the kind of ways that, 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 that data can be used. And so we've pushed on with that. We've had a program of data sets which we've released in, in subsequent years, some richer than others under varying licensing terms, um, some we charge for, some we don't. Um, but but that, that, that portfolio of products will continue to increase. But what we've decided to do over the next couple of years is to, folk, to revisit the data sets we've already put out there and to, to, to actually reassess whether we're doing that in the right way or the right form. So there are various things we think that, that we can do to, to enhance the utility of those, those data sets. Can you give us some examples? What would, what would those be like? Yeah, Cross-referencing so, with other data, or well, 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 exactly. That's part. That's part of it. So, so a, 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 there's a there's a real focus on ensuring that all government released data sets in the UK at the moment contain UPRNs, unique property reference right. numbers. Some of our data sets do. Some of them don't. Um, wouldn't it be nice if all of our data sets did? Um, it's not, unfortunately, not as straightforward as it as it might sound for us. But that's that's certainly our intent in the next few years is to is to increase the the, the availability of UPRNs in in our data sets. It, it's slightly more complex because the the mapping of UPRNs to properties, sorry, to yeah, to property ownership, isn't a one to one relationship. For all sorts of reasons, there'll be. Um, uh, uh, situations where a UPRN will, will relate to many titles and there'll also mm. be a situation where a title will relate to many UPRNs and obviously example of that is if you were fortunate enough to own six or so adjoining properties that will be one title because it's just one ownership extent but there'll be six, gotcha, yeah. six UPRNs relating to it. Now it's, that's very one uh, specific example UPRNs but we're, we're assessing all of our data for fairness FAIR so with how findable it is how accessible it is how interoperable it is and how reusable it is and and, and some of our data sets match up well against that those criteria more so than others we want to bring them all up to the same kind of level of maturity and maybe move from the model of of, of put publishing all of our data sets as national data sets and, and enable uh, API access, um, selective API access to, to just the data elements that you, that you want from our data sets to take away the burden from, from those who don't want to do that any longer. I see. Okay. So that's, that's, um, that's quite a project. Yeah. I mean, and I could imagine also requires kind of a, uh, you know, significant adapt adaptation of the, kind of the skill set of the people in the organization, right? Of, of moving to kind of this kind of on-demand, uh, running and operating in an API and things like that. So, um, uh, absolutely, and we also have to be sure that we're doing this. We're being customer-led in this as well. So it'd be very easier for us just to do the things that we think are the right things to do, but 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 we're, we we are very customer-led in this. So we, we're prioritizing according to. To, to customer demand. Okay. Um, well, uh, besides being a leader on kind of the open data front, uh, another area that Land Registry has been been very good for the um, geospatial community is, of course, as a sponsor of Geovation, which um, we, we, we've been we're very fortunate to have GeoMob there quite frequently. Um, uh, so maybe you can tell us tell us kind of your experiences with that and how that's gone and. Um, I guess it's been several years now. So, uh, you know, what type of innovation are you seeing around uh, coming coming out of that? And and give give us kind of your can you give us an update on that? 
Yeah, so Land Registry have been supporting Geovation for, I think it's four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we entered into that for with various various motivations, I guess, really. Most of which are, are just altruistic from a government perspective, because um, we wanted to encourage our data to be to be used in as many different ways as possible and by as many people as possible. So it's it's really building on that open data point that, that we were just talking about. Um, from a government perspective, if we can if we can encourage reuse of of our data, that that can only create economic benefit to to the country because it's creating creating employment, it's creating benefits, it's creating it's creating revenue. Um, so so that's from a wider government perspective but so it underpins our data and open data ambition it, it, it ensures or, or hopefully encourages um, the economic benefits arising from the use of our data which then gives us increased justification to, to, to publish publish more um, but it also actually relates back to the point I was just making about being customer-led we, we we understand registration we understand conveyancing we understand the property market what we don't understand is the new and diverse needs of the emerging prop tech market. So what Geovation does do, it gives us access and understanding of those those novel markets. Um, pe- people, we, we are engaging with folk that we would no, wouldn't otherwise normally engage with. And we, we learn from that process, from the, from the, the startups and SMEs that we, that we support and, and encourage. Um, and I can't remember the exact figures, but I think, I think we've, the, the 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 startups which we've supported have now attracted something like I think 150 million pounds of investment between them. Yeah, I know there have been been several quite quite uh, impressive success stories. Um, so, congrats to all. Uh, my own background when I lived in London was having a, a prop tech company, and uh, it's really amazing how the ecosystem has really exploded um, there, and and all the innovation that's happening. Although I guess we could also look at it. We can look at that two ways, right? In that there are all these great new new things coming, but is that perhaps an indictment of how broken the real estate system in the UK was in the past, right? And I mean, universally, people will tell you how miserable the the home purchase process is. is um, and I never quite get a handle on that. Is that because of just historical anomalies and uh, you know each player in the in the in the process doesn't have an incentive to improve things or was it just um you know some sort of cultural aversion also to 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 selling um you know it's very interesting because like in for example in the uk everyone buys and sells their home via or sells their home via an agent um whereas in many countries people don't people sell it themselves right and and so you, it, but it was largely a cultural thing. People didn't, didn't trust themselves to sell it themselves, or didn't want to, or it was viewed as kind of like a, you know, talking about money as kind of a weird thing. So I, I don't know. It, it was. There's probably a combination of all of those things, Ed, I mean, and and that there is, uh, uh, the government has recognised that the conveyancing process could be improved, and and there are some, there are some. Um, there's some work exploring that and trying to improve that at the moment. But I think what is interesting, we're seeing that a lot, certainly a large number of the prop techs that we're supporting are focusing on, on some of those areas of the convincing process, the house buying and selling process, which could be improved. Mm. In fact, we are now seeing within the last year or so, 
kind of ecosystems of, of organizations which we've supported interacting with each other and building larger components of that overall convincing house um, moving process between them which i think has been is is, is kind of really intriguing and is probably one of the most pleasing things to to, to observe what um i guess that's a good good time to turn our focus to the future so so what does the future hold for for land registry what can what can people expect beyond obviously you announced uh, you know more work on releasing more data and things but what what kind of are the big challenges you're facing can i just make one last plug for geovation of course we'll move on of to course that. of course so Please. that it's worth mentioning that we're open for applications at the moment for the next cohort of um, startups all right when is the deporting. deadline do you, the do deadline you know? is the 28th of february so there's still plenty of time okay. to get an application in so uh, i'd encourage listeners to, to to do that i can i can gladly echo that uh, encouragement because it's a, it's a fantastic facility and uh fantastic I, i'm familiar with many startups who have gone through it and they've all universally uh had a pleasant experience and a, and a very worthwhile experience in terms of getting their business in shape so it's worth saying as well that that, um, that there are lots of um, benefits for, for each of the startups who, who join the cohort, um, not just the support from ourselves and Ordnance Survey, but, but also office space um, and lots of other training and, and, and mentoring, which takes place as well, as well as funding. So it, it is worth investigating. Well, I know Stephen Feldman actually just started as a as a mentor as part of the mentorship program. So we're going to do an episode at some point where he's going to talk about his experiences there. So um, hopefully we can get that out soon. So cool. Um, yeah, but so let's let's um, let's hear what what are the plans for the future? More more of the same? More digitization? More more data out there? Or any? You know what will what will land registry look like in in fifteen years, twenty years? Well, it's, it's actually built on one of your previous points. We're we're trying to to be a mature player in that conveyancing and house buying and selling market. So we're we're digitising all all of our services, um, making making them far um, more frictionless than they are at the moment. Perhaps for those who have to interact with us, automating them as much as possible um, in house. But from a, from a geospatial and a data perspective, the it is more of the same in terms of releasing more data, as I as I mentioned a moment ago, and making that data more more usable uh, and, and of greater utility to whoever wants to to take it. But actually, we're 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 in the process of refreshing our geospatial estate as well, um, as we've been using geographic systems in some form for. For, for 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 many years, well before I joined, back into back into the 80s and 90s, a lot of a lot of the the architecture and systems that we're using, some of it dates back that far. So some of it is it's not it's not state of the art. We recognise mm. that we could be getting more from um, our geospatial estate and our assets than we currently are. So we're in the process of of refreshing both uh, our data. Um, our systems uh, and our processes to just to enable us to, to be more efficient as an organization as well, but also to start interacting with our conveyancing customers geospatially in a more intelligent way as well, being able to receive geospatial data rather than rather than scans or paper from them and, and being able to supply it back again. So being able to interact geospatially in a more intelligent way with, with those who, who do who do business with it. But of course, none of that is going to be possible unless we really tackle that data capture um, process that we've talked about. Um, we could have the best 
could have the best capability, the best systems, the best processes, but unless we've got the right data in there to 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 to, to oil the way, then 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 that would all be for naught. So it's actually a root and branch revision of our of our geospatial state is the best best phrase I can use in terms of data processes and systems. It's worth, it's I can, worth... Well, I can imagine this is really challenging because um, you know you're an organization that's been around for 150 years, and you know the biolog- there's no reason to believe it won't continue to exist in 150 years, right? I mean, the the need will continue to be there, um, and so the same way the people who produce you know the maps and stuff 100 years ago, or whatever did it with the best of intentions, but then over time it faded and, you know, the paper decays or whatever, you know, we have, there's this whole concept of, of bit rot, right. And how do you, how do you store things digitally to ensure that, you know, even when we think about, you know, how, how ephemeral is the current internet, right. I mean, like, you know, sites and services and brands that existed even 10 years ago are long gone. And, but you're tasked with, keeping something forever right so keep keeping something forever but also making sure that whatever we implement is can be used for the historic resource as well as anticipated future resource and and all we can do is build that in as granular and as as open a way as we can so that those who inherit this this challenge in in generations to come are able to repurpose what we've built now in in ways that we just can't perceive at, at, at the moment so different than I, I would probably many of our listeners are working on where when you're working at a, you know, you're working at a company, particularly at a startup, it's, it's all about just, you know, this week's goals or next quarter's goals. And, you know, how do you get this feature out or whatever? We, we've, we've got, but, we've got about um, 3000 live users of our mapping system. So we can't, we can't, we, it's not just the, the tech side of it as well as a whole, there's a whole kind of training um, and knowledge upgrading, um, right. transfer, if you like, from one system to the next. You, we, we can't just switch one system off one day and, and start the, the, the new system up the next day. There's a whole kind of migration set of phasing activity and dependencies in there as well. And of course, we're not trying to make these changes in isolation. We're trying to change many other parts of our processes and systems at the same time. So it becomes a very complex set of interdependencies on quite an industrial scale. Wow. Well, good luck. Good luck. Um, <laughs> what What's the best way? Um, so if our conversation today has, has uh, raised questions from people, what's the best way they can get in touch and learn more about you, about land registry, about the, the open data? You know, should they just check out the website and then go from there or should they contact you or? They, they can check out the website. They can, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on, on, Twitter, I think I'm AED Trig. Um, yeah, e- email, Twitter, LinkedIn, website, whichever way, whichever way you prefer. Okay, we'll I'd, get all I'd that be on really the show notes. Really pleased to hear from folk, especially with with direct feedback, especially about novel ways we might we might capture some of that information. Yeah, I get the the challenge remains. So if anyone out there listening has cracked the code on uh, you know handwriting from handwriting identification from 150 years ago or damaged maps and things i i would be impressed well um all right well let's wrap up i appreciate you taking the time to come back on the show andrew and uh, hopefully we'll have, we'll have to get you back at an event at some point in london yeah, and definitely. you can uh, you can give everyone an update on how things are going so definitely i, I look forward to that
Thanks, Ed. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOB podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any um, suggestions for topics that we should uh, cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. Um, You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. Um, You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.